The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. a governess until September. September? To take care of seven children. Seven children? Come out of that water at once! Do you like children, Maria? Oh, yes, but I'm seven. I will tell Captain Van Trapp to expect you tomorrow. Uh, Captain? A retired officer of the Imperial Navy, a fine man and a brave one. Tell me, do you think the captain would get me some more material if I asked him? How many dresses does a governess need? No, no, not for me, for the children. I want to make them some play clothes. The bomb trap children don't play. They march. But they're children! Yes. And I'm their father. Good night. to tell me that my children have been roaming about Salzburg dressed up in nothing but some old drapes mm-hmm. and having a marvelous time. Fulham, were you this much trouble at the Abbey? Oh, much more, sir. Why did they send you back to us? They didn't send me back, Mother. I left. Is it true Fräulein Maria isn't coming back? I can't face him again. There's nothing more irresistible to a man than a woman who's in love with him. In love with him? Of course. But what makes it so nice is he thinks he's in love with you. Oh, there were times when we would look at each other. Oh, Mother, I could hardly breathe. Are you in love with him? I've never felt that way before. Maria, you have to live the life you were born to live. And somewhere out there, a young lady who I think will never be a nun. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today I'm joined by my regular co-host, Kyle in the house, and also all the way on the other side of the country, uh, joining us for the second time on the podcast is... Christine Collier. Hi Christine there. Christine Collier. She's one of them Californians. California. Uh, so we won't hold that against you too much. On <laughs> this it's like, I own a country. Yes. <laughs> so, um, Christine had contacted me and said, hey, have you guys ever uh, covered The Sound of Music? And no, we haven't. Um, 
and I don't know if Kyle's ever seen this movie before now, and I've only had caught bits and pieces of it um, because you can't go very long uh, flipping through the TV growing up without seeing this somewhere on the TV, you know, with some lady dancing on the side of a hill, singing mm-hmm. at the top of her lungs or stuff like that. So, but before we start diving into the sound of music, I have a question for you two. Well, actually, I have two questions. Number one, Kyle. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite musical of all time? Oh, favorite musical of all time. Oh, man, that's a good question. That is a good question. Um, let's pull that up real quick because I had to look at the list. Uh, there's a lot of bad musicals out there. That'd probably be a yeah. Disney musical. Yeah, there is. Uh, it might be Mulan. I don't know. Um, you say move on. We're not counting. We're not <laughs> counting cartoons. Disney movie. They have like nope. fifteen music numbers. No, no, no cartoons. No cartoons, uh, and that counts. That loses like two thirds of musicals, Jimbo. <laughs> no, it's just you haven't seen any musicals. That's what that says. I have seen plenty of musicals. Dude, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's that did this that did this movie did probably I don't know how many twelve at least that I know of. So the recent, recent one I saw was like the, the new um, the Cyrano movie appeared in, which is kind of amazing. It might be my favorite right now. That would be excellent. Yeah, we'll yeah. come back to you. Let's move on to Christy because I'm sure she could say what her favorite movie. Uh, oh gosh, I can think of two, and they're very different. In the '80s, I can remember having a great time going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, that's what I got to pick right there. That's yeah, that's really the best, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that, that I had a great time bringing popcorn, this newspapers, just were you, playing were you, along. Were you one of the ones that when they said toast, you would throw your toast and all that? Oh yeah, I mean you had to bring the props. <laughs> it, it was a great time doing that, and I also enjoyed Greece. So oh, nice. Two very different, divergent musicals. Well, I, I have my my two. Since you got two, I'll give you my two. One, my number one is probably Phantom of the Opera. Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Phantom of the Opera. I've seen it on uh, Broadway twice, um, and then they came out with that movie. Not quite as good as the Broadway production, mm-hmm. but I still liked it. And probably number two is I Love Grease too. Not ah, awesome. not T O O, but the number two. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Maxwell Caulfield. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think it's it 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 kind of you know it went from like the seventies era of high school to like the eighties era of high school. I guess you would mm-hmm. say um, it has some catchy tunes in there too. But I mean, I, I I like musicals anyway. So I mean, I've seen several of them. Uh, I love Mary Poppins, um, which starred Julie Andrews. We all know how I feel. You love Julie Andrews. I yeah. love Mary Poppins. I mean, I wanted her to be my babysitter growing up. I had a biggest crush on her of anybody. Fair. Fair. So Kyle, I, I got mine now. For for the old and classic, I'm well, not necessarily old, but classic is uh, My Fair Lady. I'm going to go with that one. Audrey Hepburn, yeah. uh, Rex Harrison. And for one that's probably uh, more close to like a personal favorite of mine is uh, The Producers, the Mel Brooks musical. Uh, I mean, The King and I, good too um yeah rogers and hammerstein cinderella that they did was good um so several several of them are really good so um there's that and my second question for you two is Mm -hmm. we'll start with kyle because this is gonna be funny kyle what is your favorite song from the sound of music from the sound of music oh uh 
probably good night. Um, that that one be in the naptime song when they all um are at the party and they're all going to go to bed. I forget the name. Of the, I don't know the name of any of the songs because <laughs> uh, I'm bad. But uh, that's definitely my favorite from of the of the series. Yeah. I figured. I figured when we end this, I'll have Christine start singing that <laughs> so long, <laughs> and then yeah. we'll pass it to Kyle. <laughs> uh, Christine, I like Do Re Mi. Do Re Mi. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Idolize. Um, I think it's, mm, it's yeah. a very powerful movie uh, or song uh, that played into the movie. So um, there you have it. Um, I thought Kyle would go 16 going on 17 as his favorite when he's dancing. They're dancing in the gazebo. <laughs> I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Kyle, let's go ahead and take away the sound of music. Okay, The Sound of Music. Here we go. Um, release date April 1st, 1965 for the United States release. Um, quick little. Um, Brief little uh, synopsis over that, but uh, a young novice nun is sent by her covenant convent to in the 1930s to Austria to become a governess to seven children and their widowed naval officer. Um, driven by Robert Wise, um, Robert Wise acclaimed director, of course, of many amazing movies such as the uh, original West Side Story uh, and other films like the, the Andromeda Strand, Star Trek Motion Picture, the first one, and uh, pretty much one of the subclaimed favorite movies of all time. But the day they stood still for me. So incredible director there, Robert Wise. Um, for the writing credits, um, we have George Hurdelak, um, with partial use of the ideas, um, from the original stage musical for awarded to Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss for the stage musical being adapted to screen, obviously. Um, then we're going to go to some of the technical details of the film. Got to find the link right there where I put it. Technical details. This movie is two hours and 52 minutes long. Uh, and yeah, I was really shocked by the length of it too because I, I I had watched it actually as a child, but I didn't remember how long it was and seeing like a three hour runtime was like, oh my gosh. Um, aspect ratio is 2.2 by one, which is a uh, you know, pretty wide um angle lens overall speaking, especially for the time and era. Um, this is a color film, which you know, pretty impressive for 1965. A lot of films still you know, available in black and white for sure, so a great visual company event going on there. And then some of the more technical details here. Where did I put them? Ah, I gotta find them real quick. Um, camera uses were the Bell and Howell 2709, the Mitchell BFC, and the modern cinema systems for the MCS 70. Film length for the um, Italy cut and the Sweden cuts are a little bit different, but the film length is 4,700 meters. So incredible for a, a, a long film length there. And let's see here. Let's see what stuff I also covered here. And I move on to the awards section of The Sound of Music. Um, for the Oscars in 1966, it won the awards for Best Picture, Best Director, awarded to Robert Wise. Um, um, uh, both awards awarded to Robert Wise. Best Sound awarded to James um, Corcoran and Fred Hines. Best Film Editing awarded to William Reynolds. And Best Music, Scoring to Music, or Adaptation or Treatment awarded to Erwin Coastal. It was also a nominee for Best Actress for Julie Andrews' performance. Best Actress in Supporting Role for Peggy Wood's performance, Best Cinematographer for Ted D. McCord, and Best Art Direction and Set Direction for Color Films, which were um, nominees for Boris Levin, Walter M. Scott, and Ruby R. Levitt. Also a nominee for Best Costume Design for a Color Film to, award, um, to Dorothy Jenkins. Next up, in 1966, it was nominated for a BAFTA for Best British Actress to Julius Andrews. And the America Cinema Editors Awards in 1966, it won the Best Edited Feature Film awarded to William Reynolds. Then in the David D. Donatello Awards in 1966, it won the Best Foreign Actress Awards awarded to Julia Andrews. 
Next up in the Directors Guild of America USA Awards, they won the Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Motion Picture, where it's Robert Wise, and Assistant Director Ridgeway Callow. Next up, we have the Golden Globes, where it won the Best Motion Picture and Best Actress for the Jillian Andrews, and it was nominated for Best Director and Best Supporting Actress for Penny Woods' performance. Next up, for the um, 2010, very recent, actually, um, it was a nominee for the Golden Trailer Awards for the Most Innovative Advertising for a Brand and Product, where the 23 Fox for, uh, I believe, a trailer they made for the film, so that's you know, a little thing there. I might dig into that later in the podcast. And next up, we have the Laurel Awards, where in 1966, it won the General Entertainment and Musical Performance for a Female Performance. Award to Julia Andrews. Next up in the National Board of Reviews, it won the Top 10 Films of the Year, 1966. In 2001, it was added to the um, United States National Film Registry. Incredible honor there. Next up for the New York Film Critics Awards in 1965, it won the Best Actress Award for Julia Andrews. I'm sorry, it was a nominee, not a, not a win. Nominee, though. 1997, it was a winner of the um, Online Film and Television Association's Hall of Fame. So, got to enter that category or that um, that prestigious collection of film Hall of Fame there. Then, 1966, for the Photoplay Awards, it won a gold medal. And then, the Satellite Awards in 2006, it won the Best Classic DVD Preservation Decision um, for the um, the adaptation of uh, the transfer to a DVD format. Now, I believe it's already been transferred to uh, Blu ray, and I believe there's a later coming 4K um, treatment done soon enough. And also in the Writers Guild of America in USA, it was the winner for the Best Written American Musical of the Year, awarded to Ernest Lehman. That covers the awards of The Sound of Music. Um, quick little digest on the um, budget of the film. The budget of the film was $8.2 million in 1965. Judging for inflation, that'd be about $77.9 million today. So um, roughly about a 10x, uh, about a 9x increase of actual you know, inflation there. So big time money there. Um, and then gross worldwide, uh, which is just an insane number that I'm sure is only bigger now as the years going on, but it made a $159.3 million at box office over its, uh, I guess, probably its whole year of release. And just for inflation, that'd be about $1.5 billion today, billion with a B, which is absolutely um, insane, gargantuan <laughs> number for sure. So big money there. Um so um, you have conflation, awards, technical details right there. I'm going to pass on to Christine, and she's going to take over the cast notes for me. She got that for me. Yes, I've got quite a few cast notes. Um, right. I can go over the, the children first if you want. Sure. Okay. It's your okay. podcast. We're just yeah. guests on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I, I did the kids first. So I'll do the kids first. Okay, so Charmaine, I think that's how you pronounce it, Charmaine Carr. Uh, her original last name is Farnan, but the director wanted her to have a shorter last name, I guess. So he gave her a choice of names and she chose, she chose Carr. So she played Liesl Von Trapp, the eldest. She was born um, on December 27th, 1942. And she died, unfortunately, she died fairly young uh, in September of 2016. And this is sad, complications related to frontotemporal dementia which we know now quite a bit about because um, Bruce Willis Bruce Willis just got diagnosed with it. Yeah, so very sad. She was married from 1967 to 1991 um, to a man named Jay Brent. She's got two surviving children. She was the second child of vaudeville actress Rita o Oman and a musician, Brian Farnan. She has two sisters. They're both actresses. 
And she was actually in college studying speech therapy and philosophy and working for a doctor when her mom actually arranged for her to audition for the role. (laughs) So she was not in any shape, way or form an actress or looking to be an actress. And um, I think one of her classmates actually submitted her picture to the director. So Mm. it was just kind of an odd thing. And she actually beat out uh, quite a few other people who were actively auditioning for for the role so it was just kind of a you know a chance thing that she got the role and then during filming during the dance scene where she's dancing with with uh rolf the the in guy the who's the delivery in the gazebo yes yeah. yeah, the um the costumers forgot to put non-slip pads on her shoes and so she actually slid through a window of the gazebo and she had to um as she's as she said complete the scene in agony. So that's just a little, a little thing there. Um, and that really, I don't think she acted after that much. She, um, the only film she credit owned... I see here is on the ABC stage 67 in 1966, where she only had one episode. Sorry. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm looking at her filmography here, the sound of music, 1965. And then in 1966 evening primrose. So maybe that's what you're referring to. Yeah. I believe so, so after that, yeah, after that, she owned an interior design firm called uh, Charmaine Carr Designs in Encino. She wrote a couple books, Forever Liesel and Letters to Liesel. Um, in October 2010, there was a, Oprah Winfrey did a show to celebrate the film's 45th anniversary, which quite a few of the former uh, the actors were on. And yeah, and that's pretty much it. Well, she also, her. she also, yeah, I got something else. Um, she also did a mock uh, sweet uh, sweet shop, uh, like chocolate shop for Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Oh, did she? She did. It's in the notes somewhere. I thought that was kind of interesting. Oh, okay. Too. Cool. Okay. So that was her. Let's see. Then I've got uh, Dwayne Chase. He was Kirk Von Trapp. He was born in 1950, so he's still alive and he's married. And he that that was the only acting job he did. He, he's got one spouse. He's an American software engineer. Um, he had one small role in Follow Me Boys in 1966. We also played Danny Matthews in The Big Valley for one episode. And he uh, graduated from Rolling Hills High School in Rolling Hills, California. Oh, and this is interesting. He joined the United States Forest Service in Santa Barbara, which is oh. about an hour's drive. <laughs> Yeah, an hour's drive wow. south from me in does 1969. He still, does he still live out that way? Um, no, no. He um, he lives in Washington. Hmm. And uh, he works in wildlife and forestry. And he's married. His wife is an RN who was born in Germany. And he actually, um, he has an MA in geology from the University of Alabama. And let's see, Nicholas Hammond, he played... Friedrich von Trapp, the elder of the two boys, and he was born in May 1950 in Washington, D.C. He uh, had two spouses. One he divorced in 1984. The other one he married in 1987, and he's been with her to the present. Oh, and this guy, he's actually best known for his role as uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man in the 1970s TV series, The Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen those, Kyle? No, no. I'm they not. are fantastic. 
Yeah. <laughs> so he actually, he, um, let's say, thank for my notes. I think he lives in, um, let's see, Australia now. Yeah, after being cast as yachtsman Dennis Connor in the 1986 Australian TV miniseries, miniseries The Challenge, about the 1983 America's Cup Challenge, he liked the country so much that he decided to stay. He later became an Australian citizen. Um, let's see. Yeah, he moved to Australia in the mid-80s, and he now lives in Sydney with actress Robin Nevin. But he remains close with his Sound of Music siblings. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Of, uh, I've seen 90 film credits to his name right there. He was in Stealth. He oh, was he's. A time in Hollywood. Crocodile. Yeah. He's huge. yeah so, yeah. I just, he was on. He guest starred, guest starred in The Love Boat, Magnum P.I., Murder She Wrote, played recurring roles on Falcon Crest and Dallas. Um, yeah. He's, let's see. Just he also spent several of- seasons in daytime soap operas, such as General Hospital. Many TV shows of the 70s. Um, oh, he's also in one episode of the TV adaptation of Logan's Run with Heather Menzies, who also played one of the kids. Yeah, he's, yeah, oh, actor cool. all the way. Yeah. Okay, so now I'll do Heather Menzies. She played Louisa Von Trapp, the third oldest daughter. Unfortunately, she's passed away too. She was born in 1949. She passed away um, in 2017. Uh, she was married twice. Her last husband was Robert Ulrich. Am I saying that right? Ulrich. Or yeah. Ulrich. Ulrich. Ulrich, yeah. He died in 2002. Um, let's see. She first appeared in TV in 1964 on the TV series The Farmer's Daughter. Then she was cast in The Sound of Music. She had no prior acting experience. She sang So Long, Farewell, and The Lonely Goat Herd in the film. After I just watched it, just finished a couple hours, and I don't necessarily remember that. <laughs> her, I don't know. <laughs> her TV credits, uh, Alias, Smith & Jones, TJ Hooker, Dragnet, Room 222, Bonanza, Marcus Welby, MD, and The Bob Newhart Show. She, oh, here we go. She starred as Jessica Six in the short-lived TV series, Logan's Run. She also appeared in Hawaii, How Sweet It Is, Hail Hero, Piranha, and Endangered Species. Oh, and this is interesting. She's also featured in Playboy magazine. Um, hmm. In 1973, during a pictorial titled Tender Trap, a reference to her Sound of Music role. Huh. Yeah. She was also Kyle's cast already on Amazon. <laughs> Kyle's on eBay trying to order it right now. <laughs> yeah. She was also cast in four TV films, The Keegans, James Dean, Tail Gunner Joe, and Captain America in 1979. Another classic um, Marvel start. <laughs> yeah. After her husband's death in 2002, she established the Robert Urich Foundation and devoted most of her time in her, le- in her later years to the organization, which raises money for cancer research and support for cancer patients. Oh, here's how she passed away. She was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer in November of 2017 mm. and died from that on December 24th in 2017. Man, that went really quick, huh? Yeah. Okay, let's see. Uh, Kim Carath. 
I think this is the youngest one, Greta. Greta, yeah. Or Gre- Gretel, Gretel Von Trapp, yeah. Um, so she was born in Los Angeles in 1985. Um, she was married twice. One spouse, Philippe Le Equalbeck. I'm not sure. From 1985 to 2005, her latest last husband, Jeff Apple, she married him in 2016. She's got one child. She started acting at the age of four in Spencer's Mountain, 1963, with Henry Fonda and Veronica Cartwright. Also in 1963, she was in The Thrill of It All with Doris Day and James Garner. In 1964, she was in Good Neighbor Sam with Jack Lemmon but best remembered for her role as young, the youngest Von Trapp Gretel. She graduated from USC with a degree in humanities and moved to Paris. That's where she met um, Philippe. They had a son in 1991. Oh, she was also a model. She modeled too. Hmm. Oh, and, and this is an interesting thing. Um, she nearly drowned in the boat yep. scene. <laughs> you found that out too, Jim? Yeah. The, she, it was supposed to be when the boat tipped that she was supposed mm-hmm. to fall to the side where Julie Andrews was because Julie Andrews was supposed to, because she couldn't swim, she was supposed to rescue her. But when right. they filmed it, she flipped to the other side and Julie Andrews was on the other side. So um, I've got in the notes somewhere with the, the one of the girls, uh, Louisa, I think, uh, grabbed her and made sure, you know what I mean? But she said that when she came out of the water, that she 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 gulped so much water that she threw up all over one of the other girls. Oh <laughs> man, yeah, yeah. So I I couldn't find any film roles film roles for her after 1981, which was Midnight Offerings. So I don't know. She lives in Greenwich, Connecticut now, and she likes each other one son. So that's all I could find on her. And then let's see, um, Debbie Turner. As Marta Van Trapp. She was born in Arcadia, California in 64. So she's still she's still around. Um, after the film's debut, she left the industry and returned to school. So in 1985, she relocated to Chanhassen, Minnesota, where she raised four daughters with her husband Rick, not active in the film industry. She's close with her co-stars, and she was also on the Oprah Winfrey show for the 45th anniversary show of The Sound of Music. Oh, and I have here, she was one of three float judges for the 2011 Tournament of Roses Parade. So that's all I've got on her. And then Angela Cartwright, she played Brigitte Von Trapp. Mm-hmm. She's from England. She was born in Cheshire in 1952. She's an actress and photographer. Her spouse is Steve Goulion. She got married in 1976. She's got two children. She made her first film appearance at age three. And somebody up there likes me in 1956. Oh, and she was in the Danny Thomas show for seven seasons from 57 to 64. Oh, and she played Penny Robinson in Lost in Space. Lost in Space, yep. Yeah. And she made appearances in My Three Sons, Adam 12, and The Love Boat. And she made a cameo appearance as a porter number two in the 1998 Lost in Space film and has Dr. Smith's mother in the third episode of the second season of the 2018 Netflix Reimagined Lost in Space series. Did you watch that? I watched the first couple of episodes of that. Wasn't bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, I watched that. I I actually enjoyed that. So I think, yeah, I think I just went over all the kids, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's all the kids. Um, Okay. So let me go over the rest of this. Mm -hmm. The rest of the cast. Cast. Okay. Of course, Julie Andrews, 87 years old, was born in 1935. Now, I looked at two different websites. One said she had three children. One said she had five. Hmm. I'm not sure which is accurate. It looks like she's been married. married. Pardon? As long as they know, that's important. I don't know. Looks like she's been married married twice, Blake Edwards and Tony Walton. I don't think she's currently married. She's won six Golden Globes, two Emmys, two British Academy Film Awards, three Grammys, and one Academy Award. Oh, wow. Yeah. In 1979, she received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She was made a Disney legend in 1991 for her work on Mary Poppins. She received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Screen Actors Guild in 2007. I know there's a ton more on her, but I only had an hour to put this together, so. <laughs> no problem. Uh, Christopher Plummer, he played uh, Baron Von Trapp. He was born in 1929. He died um, in February of 2021. I guess he had a fall and hit his head mm-hmm. and passed away. And I think... From what I remember, he was preparing for another role or something, but he passed away. He was married three times. He was a, I think he was born in Canada, right? Canadian film, television, and film actor. And I, from, I think from what I was reading, um, he actually was not thrilled with his role. He hated right? it. He considered it. Yeah, he hated it. Yeah, because he considered himself like a serious film actor. And this was kind of like, below his yeah he's like i it wasn't serious enough for him yeah yeah so on stage his most notable roles were that of cyrano de bergerac bergerac am i pronouncing that right yep bergerac yeah and cyrano in 1974 has done barrymore barrymore he won the tony award for best actor in a play for these two roles he was he also appeared in waterloo 1970 the man who would be king 1975, The Insider, 1999, has Leo Tolstoy in The Last Station, and 2009 has Arthur Case in Inside Man in 2006. And recently, back in 2017, 2017 is Jay Paul Getty and All the Money in the World. Remember that movie? Nope. It was a, for television. It was about um, the kidnapping. Remember that he got his ear cut off? Which kidnapping? Uh, the I look it up before the Lindbergh the Lindbergh baby. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was Um, the younger Getty who got kidnapped in the seventies or something. Yeah, Charles John Paul Getty the third. In addition to yeah, he's devoted marriage against his billionaire grandfather John Paul Getty to pay the ransom. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that. Uh, it was good either yeah i loved him in um knives out in 2019 that was like one of his final films like i think it was like, the third to last final film he was in or second to last oh, I, the I last don't have yeah. i don't have that on here i just have that he won an academy award for best supporting actor for mike mills film beginners in 2010 that's the last thing i have on him and then i've got eleanor parker has the baroness 
She was born in 1922, died in 2013. She was married four times. She was nominated for three Academy Awards. And her best known role was in The Sound of Music. She was also honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah. And I've got Peggy Wood has Mother Abbess. She was born in 1892. Wow. Yeah, passed away in 1978. And for her, I've got best remembered for her performance as a title character in the CBS television series Mama from 1949 to 1957. 176 her... episodes. Sorry, that's incredible. I'm looking at it right now, too. <laughs> oh, okay. for Mama? Yeah, her Mama. 176 yeah. episodes as Mama. Dang. Mama, actually. Wow. That's crazy. That's I guess that's why right she'd be there. best remembered for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, her starring role has Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law in the story of Ruth from 1960. And this is interesting. Her final screen appearance was his mother, Abbas, in The Sound of Music. Yep. For which she got an Academy Award nomination and a Golden Globe Award. Is what I've got in my notes. I think I went through that. Uh, yeah, I went through that one on the board. Yeah, there. Okay. Yep. And then Daniel True Height or True Hit has Rolf Gruber. Rolf. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing. Yeah. Not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Um, he was born in 1943. American actor. He's got three kids. Um, as far as I know, he doesn't act anymore. He's best known for Sound of Music and Stand in the Gap. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, when he was 15, he received a scholarship to the Sacramento Ballet. He joined the Marines in 1969. And he also appeared as Captain Von Trapp in a 1993 theater production, The Sound of Music, in, in Concord, North Carolina. He also appeared in a gala concert performance of The Sound of Music at New York's Carnegie Hall as Baron Elberfeld, a guest at a party. And then the last one I was able to look up before we started this was Richard Hayden has Max Detweiler. And he was born in 1905 and passed away from a heart attack in April of 1985. And this guy had a huge career. Um, he was a British-American comedy actor. And some of his better-known roles include Professor Audley in Balls of Fire in 1941. Roger in No Time for Love, 1943. Thomas Rogers in And Then There Were None, 1945. Emperor Franz Joseph and the Emperor Waltz, 1948. The Caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland, 1951. Baron Popoff in The Merry Widow, 1952. William Brown in Mutiny on the Bounty, 1962. And Jim, you probably know this one. In the 1960 The Twilight Zone episode, a thing about machines yep he portrayed mr bartlett finchley yep we've already come yeah. to the twilight zone yeah <laughs> yeah i know you did <laughs> i listened to that yeah uh 80z um, will be happy to hear that one <laughs> mm -hmm. he never married or had children he was briefly engaged to an actress named maria riva in 1943 he eschewed the hollywood lifestyle he was into gardening and horticulture Nice. So I, yeah. So I think it was probably gay. <laughs> that's what it said. That's what it said hey, in the notes. Not married, no children is definitely like you know first time period. That's certainly the application. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And he was. Yeah, and it, it said that he was probably gay in the notes. Um. 
speculating so, yeah. homosexual. <laughs> yeah. And it you know, and to me that's so sad that back then people couldn't be couldn't be out and live their lives. It's just sucks. Mm-hmm. That that's the way it was back then. Yeah. Yeah. So that <clears throat> that's as far as I got. The cast list there. Okay. Mm-hmm. In that case, I believe we're ready to move on to um, Jimbo. We start going through some trivia stuff. And we'll- Hi, guys. Sit back and relax. I got 26 pages of notes here. <laughs> but but I whittled it down. Kyle, we have lost Kyle. He just fell out of his chair. <laughs> I whittled it down. Hey, I started printing off me and the printer just kept going. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee and sit down and we'll get to work. So here we go. And you guys can comment as we go along. You know the routine. Uh, but Robert Wise, the director, considered Yul Brenner for the role of Captain Von Trapp. Uh, if you remember, Yul Brenner was in the uh, lead role of The King and I, and he lobbied heavily to play this role. So uh, a good actor. He's in Magnificent Seven. So uh, very, very manly. Uh, the first musical number in this movie was the final sequence shot in Europe before the cast and crew returned to Los Angeles, California. It was filmed in late June and early July of 1964. Despite the warm and sunny appearance, Julie Andrews notes that she was freezing running up that mountain over and over again. And producer and uh, director Robert Wise has said that he had to climb one of the trees nearby to be able to overview the helicopter shoot without getting into the picture. So, <laughs> can you imagine? No, no, we're going to need you to come back up the mountain. <laughs> Kyle, we're going to need you to walk back up this mountain again <laughs> and again and again. No, nope, no good. And again. <laughs> Well, not only that, I mean, the film coming out in like the 1965, so he would have been like 42 climbing a tree right then. <laughs> just 42 climbing a mountain, then climbing a tree just to get up there and film a shot. No, but know, I'm talking about Julie Andrews. She had, if they had to start over, she had to go back down the mountain and climb, you know, keep running oh, up and down yeah. the mountain. Okay, okay. That's the same thing. I thought you were talking about Robert Wise having I mean, to climb up the well, mountain. Still climbing a tree. I'm 45 and I don't know if I could climb a tree. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, no, no, no. Clean trying days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she also she also said that when um, she tried to dig her heels into the ground to brace herself, but on every take she was knocked over by the powerful helicopter downdraft. Um, I know I, I work, Kyle. I'd have to go out on my forklift and get some uh, helicopter parts in. The helicopter comes in. I'm on my forklift. And you should see all the dust and everything kicks up, and it gets real cold. So everything goes um, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so after more than a dozen takes, she attempted to hand signal to Robert Wise to have the helicopter make a wider pass. But the response she got was a thumbs up. (laughs) He was satisfied with the shot. I was like, okay. No, 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 we're done. Um, (laughs) Not doing this again. (laughs) 16 going on 17 was shot in that gazebo. uh, Was the one of the last to be done. On the first take, uh, Charmaine Carr, who played Liesl, slipped while leaping across a bench and fell through a pane of glass, which uh, Christine talked about. Although she was not badly injured, her ankle was hurt, and the scene was later shot with her leg wrapped in uh, makeup covering the bandages. Which um, it was still in some of the releases on VHS early on, and then they went back and re-edited it out, and then so now she people think that it didn't really happen. That it didn't really happen. She just made up the story. Oh, she's geez. like, no, it really happened because then they put yeah. it back in in the final, the newer version or whatever. So there is a cameo from the actual Maria von Trapp. Uh, she is portraying the elder of the two women in Austrian gar- uh, peasant garb who are in the background as uh, Julie Andrews walks through a brick archway during I Have Confidence. So she actually mm-hmm. is the movie. Um, 
So you can actually uh, go visit the gazebo uh, that was used for 16 going on 17 and something good scenes can still be visited in the Salzburg area on sound of music tours. However, the public, um, had to, the public had to be excluded from the interior because movie fans who were considerably older than 16 going on 17 were injuring themselves while trying to dance along the seats. The gazebo in Austria was only used for exterior shots. The actual dance by Sharma Carr and Daniel Truheit was filmed on a replica of the gazebo's interior on a soundstage at 20th Century Fox in Los Angeles, California, as were the shots of Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. A Debbie Turner, who played Marta, she had many loose teeth during this film. Uh, when they fell out, they were replaced with false teeth. Oh, wow. <laughs> what dread in your heart, then? Just a young child. I lost the tooth. And there the you go. Guy, uh, oh God, I got to make a tooth for this little girl. You know how you always use your Poor front teeth. You know what I mean? <laughs> and also, they should have just kept it. Because just imagine the trivia buffs, you know, 20 years later, just watching the film. Charged out. You see in this shot, she's moving a tooth on her left side. And it's going back and forth on that. Yeah. That's the real trivia. You see it grow it, grow it in. <laughs> The Easter eggs they didn't get out. All these film historians were just obsessed with it for 50 years. All right, Kyle, here's one section of candidates for the role of Captain Von Trapp. Can you see these people as playing them? Number one, Richard Burton. Yes. Hmm. Sean Connery. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. Bing Crosby. He just can't do that. What about Bing? Bing Crosby can. Yeah, he can sing. And he can dance. Uh, Maximilian uh, Schell, who was a native Austrian. And Julie Andrews, Broadway leading man Rex Harrison. The Broadway musical My Fair Lady would remain the only work in which Andrews and Harrison would act together on Broadway, that is. Um, Amongst kids who auditioned to play one of the Von Trapp children were Kurt Russell, Richard Dreyfuss, Veronica Cartwright, and the four eldest Osmond brothers, Alan Osmond, Jay Osmond, Merrill Osmond, and Wayne Osmond. Dreyfuss couldn't dance, they said. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, uh, here's yeah, here's where Gretel, we talked about her falling off the thing. Uh, but so on the second tape, that's when the boat toppled over and Andrews fell to one side and, and she fell to the other. And then Louisa was the one that saved her. So Andrews oh, okay. stated that she felt so guilty about this for years and years. So uh, and then she, she, she actually threw up on Louisa, too. So uh, Maria mm-hmm. never uses the captain's first name of George in this movie and says she calls him Captain, Sir and Darling. Uh, I noticed this when I was watching it, but when Maria is running through the courtyard to the Von Trapp house and I have confidence, she trips. This was an accident. However, producer and director Robert Weiss liked it so much that he kept it in the movie. He felt it added the nervousness of the song and, and of the character. So the anxiety. And all that. Yeah. Funny. Uh, the actors and actresses had to be continually hosed down while filming the scene after they had fallen out of the boat in order to remain dripping <laughs> wet. <laughs> Oh, how uncomfortable. Jeez. <laughs> I don't think I noticed in that scene, too. They're, they immediately go back to the house, and then, like, five minutes goes by, and then they've already changed their uniforms and are singing. Yes. The ladies. Well, they <laughs> yeah. do not have time to get ready for that at all. Oh, oh that's yeah. movie magic. And their hair is dry. Movie yeah, yeah, magic. Yeah, yeah, hair is dry, yeah. It's like, um, wow, it's a quick change. <laughs> when setting up for filming of the wedding scene, there was nobody at the altar to wed them while they reached the top of the stairs to the sanctuary. Someone had forgotten to summon the actor playing the bishop. According to Julie Andrews, the real Archbishop of Salzburg at that time, uh, Andreas Rohrecher, is seen in the movie. 
Uh, the gazebo changes size, becomes larger when we go inside of it. This was intentional because the real gazebo on the property where they filmed the scenes was at, at the back of the house was too small for the dance numbers. So they built an interior uh, gazebo in a Hollywood studio that was significantly larger. Christopher Plummer <laughs> really disliked this movie. He was known to refer to it as the sound of mucus or S&M. <laughs> And he, here you go. And he likened working with Julie Andrews to being hit over the head with a big Valentine's Day card every day. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. But, but nonetheless, they 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 became pretty close friends uh, until his death. So uh, they cl- he claimed that his cynicism probably helped his performance in this movie with keeping it for being too sentimental. So I just like the fact that he said. Yeah, beat her over the head with a big Valentine's Day card. Every <laughs> I feel like there has to be some more of humor he had, I guess. <laughs> you know, Kyle, if you were somebody in this movie, I think you would be this next person. Because during the musical competition at the end of the movie, Fraulein Schweiger, the third place winner, bowed 16 times. Yeah. <laughs> I get all the credit. No, you're right. You're right. I'm not, I'm not character. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. American Film Institute in 2007 ranked this as the number 40 uh, greatest movie of all time. Uh, Christopher Plummer learned to play guitar for his part. So did Julie Andrews. Uh, but the guitar, like his vocals, were redubbed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she said this when she slipped and fell on that. Uh, Liesl said when she slipped and fell, uh, 16 going on 17. In early editions of the movies, the bandage covering the ankle is visible. When the movie was remastered for the DVD, the images of this bandage were digitally removed. On the commentary of the 40th anniversary edition DVD in 2005, uh, Charmaine said that because of this, some people do not believe that when she says she was danced uh, on an inj- injured ankle. So what they can do these days by taking stuff out of movies is, is amazing. Yeah. Frame by frame, all the data, stuff like that. You know, new movie will be real in 20 years. It'll be great. It's, just, it's all right. imagery. <laughs> uh, through this movie, uh, though this movie is virtually unknown in Austria due to the intentional uh, popularity, you can visit the places where filming took place with a special tour. Furthermore, in many hotels in Salzburg, this movie is played nonstop on televisions for the tourists. Uh, the soundtrack, the soundtrack album of this movie, the RCA Victor from 1965, is one of the best-selling soundtracks of all time. Around 11 million copies sold worldwide, and has never ever been out of print. Yeah, uh, Jimbo, I don't know if actually you got the chance to go see the um, bonus featurettes on the Voodoo page. But actually, there's a 50-minute documentary called the um, the the Sound of Music, the Sound of the City. Julie Julia Andrews returns to Salzburg, where she actually goes through the entire like real life tour of each physical location itself. Bro, it's, I, it's just oh, a wow. sign me up. Let's go. For, for sign me up. I, if Julie Andrews is there. Man, yeah, Julie Andrews like hosts all. I'd love to meet her, her man. <laughs> you know, I know her from Mary Poppins. <laughs> Kyle, you know her from The Princess Diaries. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Good movie. Now. No, actually, it's Shrek Two. That's the real. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, Shrek that too. <laughs> Um, I need to hear a performance. It's legendary. <laughs> this I found this interesting too. So when the the Best Picture Oscar uh, went to this movie on April 18, 1966, it was the first time the Academy Awards had ever been broadcast in color. Oh wow! Yep, I thought that was paradigm cool. shift. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, the organ passages and the underscore were performed by jazz organist Buddy Cole, who sadly suffered a fatal heart attack just one day after his final recording sessions were completed. Oh, sad. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Plummer was not fond of the song Idlewise, which he considered trite and wrote a letter to screenwriter Ernest Leeham suggesting a new song should be written to replace it, but he was rebuffed. Good. Uh, 
Christopher Plummer also admitted that he ate and drank heavily during filming to drown out his unhappiness with making this movie and found plenty of opportunities to do both in Austria. His costume eventually had to be refitted for his extra weight. Uh, Julie Andrews saying supercalifragilisticexpialidocious to the children in the cast to entertain them between shooting. Since Mary Poppins hadn't yet been released, they just thought she made up the song for them. <laughs> oh, I love her. Uh, Christopher Plummer admits on the DVD commentary that he was drunk during the shooting of the music festival sequence. Oh, that's the, uh, the famous uh, marionette puppet sequence. You remember the puppets that they put on mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. uh, for the lonely go uh, goat herd was produced and performed by the leading puppeteers of that day, Bill Baird and Cora Baird or Baird, B-A-I-R-D. So they must they got the most famous puppeteers, I guess they could. Oh, okay, that's, that's the song. Okay. There's some incredible models. And I just love like the little like the one with the on um, the cheeks that expand in and out. Hang on, hang on. I know. It's insane to look at though. Uh this is credited as the movie that saved 20th Century Fox after the debacle of Cleopatra. Uh every year, the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles, California hosts an annual Sound of Music sing-along where the song lyrics oh, are shown wow. underneath the screen. The actors and actresses who played the Von Trapp children and the real Von Trapp children often make appearances at what has consistently been a sold-out event. Now, That's sadly, cool. I don't know if there's any real Von Trapp. There's grandchildren. Alive. Do what? There's only there's only one Joe Johan the the son. He's the only li living child left, and yeah. there's some grandchildren and great grandchildren. Yeah, uh, Robert Wise didn't get along with the real Maria Von Trapp when she came to the set, calling her bossy. Yeah, she's uh, bossy. Mia, Mia Farrow screen tested for the part of Liesel. <laughs> She did. I can tell you the other ones who did too. I got them here too. Uh, okay. Thanks. Somewhere, I got a bunch. I mean, this this list just goes on and on. Uh, yeah. Actresses considered for the part of Maria were Shirley Jones, Anne Bancroft, and Leslie Curran. Amongst the actresses considered for the part of Captain Von Trapp were Bing Crosby and Walter Matthau. I know oh, Kyle's Matthau. Yeah. Uh, the the shooting in Salzburg lasted three months. The movie employed four thousand five hundred extras. Um. Yeah, this this that last scene that makes sense. Yeah, this movie status as the most successful music movie, movie musical was surpassed 13 years later by what what musical in the box office? Oh gosh, later it was Greece. Uh, oh, the one I <laughs> right, but this movie remained the most successful movie musical when adjusted for inflation. So. Um, this movie's success encouraged 20th Century Fox to invest in a string of costly musicals. Uh, Christine, tell me if you've seen any of these. Dr. Doolittle. No. Star. And Hello, Dolly. I think I've seen no, Dolly, but none of, none of them turned out to be big hits. Yeah, I don't even... I don't even own any of those. <laughs> I'm looking right now. <laughs> uh, while filming in Nonberg Abbey in Salisbury, the women in the cast and crew wore skirts, not trousers, so as not to offend the resident nuns. 20th Century Fox paid over $1 million for the rights to this movie, a huge amount of money at the time, and a very high price for a studio still reeling for the massive cost of Cleopatra. Fred Astaire was considered for the role of Max. Can you imagine Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby in this? That would have just been crazy. Powerhouse performance then. Kyle, this is Seth MacFarlane's favorite film, and he often spoofs it in The Family Guy. I was going to bring it up later, but I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you could actually recreate the entire movie just with Family Guy clips at this point. Because I know he, like, that was kind of the thing of this film is like the cultural osmosis that kind of carried through, like, Simpsons and Family Guy and many other shows have been parodying it for so long 
that I feel like you just have the entire film parodying itself by many other stations. Like it's kind of insane. Kyle, <laughs> when this movie was first released on home video, it stayed on the charts for over 250 weeks, almost five years. That's incredible. Uh, the production was surpassed to discover that Salzburg had the world's seventh highest average rainfall. Uh, many alternative locations had to be sourced as exterior filming was often impossible due to the downpours. Mm. Um, after the Von Trapps fled Austria, their home was taken over by Heinrich Himmler, one of the key players of the Nazi party. Adolf Hitler personally visited Heimler there several times. So that's wow. the Von Trapp family. Yeah. Uh, the day after the Von Trapp family left, uh, they actually, the real family left by train to Italy, not trekking over the mountains to Switzerland as this movie depicts. Adolf Hitler ordered the borders of Austria to be shut. So they barely got out. Yes, I have that in my facts. Uh, Maria's wedding uh, gown train was 14 feet long. 14 feet. Yeah. Um, other actresses for part of Liza were Geraldine Chaplin, Patty Duke, and Sharon Tate. Kyle, you know who Sharon Tate was? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. That was awful. What happened to her? You know, you know what she did? Or Kyle, you know what uh that's the one uh Charles Manson gang murdered. Yeah, yeah. Sharon's amazing one vampire comedy. The Tate LaBianca murders, yeah. That terrible death that um kind of changed all history. <laughs> uh, even though it is only briefly sung by Julie Andrews, she stated that Idleweiss is her favorite song from this movie. Oh, yeah. uh, production designer Boris Levin's design for the living room of the Benedict Ranch home, Rietta in Giant, was used again as the grand entry for the Von Trapp family home. Giant, of course, we covered on this podcast is a James Dean movie. Uh, both use the same split staircase proportion scale and mezzanine hallways. However, the color scheme, details, and decorations were different for each movie, so uh, I like thought that was brought up they reused it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is one of three movies to be the first released on VHS tape in 1977, along with Patton and MASH, the movie. Wow. Okay. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the year I was born. So that, okay. That's, you know, so third and, well, it was, it was the third movie to release on VHS, and... So it was also the best movie to release on VHS of those three. <laughs> Probably, yes. Uh, Charmaine Carr was only 13 years younger than Christopher Plummer, who portrayed her father. The relative oh, wow. closeness in age made the actress and actors attracted to each other, though they said nothing happened beyond innocent flirting. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. That means everything happened. Besides They'll never party. tell. Yeah. Uh, during, <laughs> during the party sequence, Captain Von Trapp is wearing a white Knight's Cross medal. The real captain was awarded uh, the order for becoming the dread of the Adriatic, especially after sinking 13 ships as a submarine commander during World War One. Yeah, he was very decorated. Uh, Christopher Plummer admitted that he found Dame Julie Andrews insufferable and annoying during filming, referring to her as Miss Disney to other cast and crew. <laughs> Later, he made it to being immature in his feelings and that Andrews was a great actress who behaved like a true professional. The two were good friends. Uh, yeah, as Christine said, Christopher Lumber singing was dubbed by Bill Lee of the singing group The Mellow Men. Uh, Charmaine Carr's high notes were dubbed by her sister Darlene. When Herr Zeller is welcomed to the party by Captain Von Trapp in the hallway, he looks with disdain at the Austrian flag hanging from the balcony. Mm -hmm. He then speaks with another guest who is wearing glasses and who's obviously a Nazi sympathizer. As Herr Zeller comments to him that Captain Von Trapp 
is the only one in the district not flying the flag of the Third Reich. Perhaps a coincidence, but the man in the glasses bears a striking resemblance to Dr. Arthur Seist Enquart, the Australian Judas who helped betray his country to the Nazis and who was hanged seven years later in Nuremberg. Yeah. Uh, during the scene where Maria mistakes Franz the butler as Captain Von Trapp, uh, actually occurred in real life, uh, according to the real Maria Von Trapp. Uh, this is one of 11 American musicals to win Best Picture. The others are The Broadway Melody, The Great Ziegfeld, Going My Way, An American in Paris, uh, Gigi or Gigi, whatever you want to call it, West Side Story, My Fair Lady, Oliver, Amadeus, and Chicago. Uh, Christopher Plummer accidentally said the word captain to Julie Andrews during the argument scene. Despite the error, producer director Robert Weiss thought it was amusing and liked it so much he kept it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the real In real life, George Von Trapp's second daughter was named Maria. She was the last surviving member of his immediate yes. family, dying on February 18, 2014, at the age of 99. Wow. Uh, my last fact because it feels like so much original to the film him getting flustered and calling her captain then going to that line is such a moment of <laughs> revealing character of how like they even like foreshadow it early in the film when he says he's running his home like it's a milk like it's a shit right. and then having that moment happen where he realizes he's slipping up himself it was such a key moment of him changing right there mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's astounding that was uh, uh by mistake by accident <laughs> uh friedrich uh, friedrich was supposed to be a blonde but nicholas hammond was a brunette so robert wise ordered that the young actor be bleached the process was intense for hammond and his hair wound up falling out in patches during the bleach oh. this left bald spots on his head here and there and which is why he is wearing a tar- Tyrolean traditional alpine hat for most of the do re mi number. <laughs> uh, this is Roger and Hammerstein's last musical. Oscar Hammerstein had already been diagnosed with cancer when he and Richard Rogers began working on a new musical based on Maria Von Trapp's memoirs. Uh, Ronald Reagan was a huge fan of this movie. So are Jimmy Fallon and Rosie O'Donnell. Hmm. Uh, means other Americans and people around the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maria uh, actually did not teach the children how to sing, not all by herself anyway. They were actually coached in four-part harmonies, mostly by Father Franz Wasner, who was a young priest who came yeah. to the Von Trapp Villa. Uh, Julie Andrews uh, was screenwriter Ernest Liam's first choice, but 20th Century Fox was less enthused and suggested Doris Day, Leslie Cannon, Grace Kelly, and Anne Bancroft to play opposite Bing Crosby. Uh, also, uh, Terry Garr auditioned for Lysel, too. That's crazy. You know, you you know who Terry Gar is, right? Uh Kyle. Not top of my head. Uh, she's in Young Frankenstein. What knockers? Oh, that girl. Oh wow. Okay. That girl. <laughs> yeah. She was in Mr. Mom. You know, she's been a lot of stuff. Good for her. <laughs> uh let's see here. Uh Heather Menzis Louisa admitted to having a crush on Nicholas Hammond Friedrich. Friedrich had a crush on Lysel. Lysel had a crush on uh, Captain Von Trapp, and Plummer, who at first hated Julie Andrews, wound up having a crush on her, too. So <laughs> going up the line. Um, the, the sad part like about this voice. is the Von Trapps never saw much of huge profits from this movie being made. Uh, Maria no, sold the not. movie rights to the German producers and inadvertently signed away her rights in the process. Yeah. The resulting movies, The Trapp Family in 1956 and the sequel, The Trapp Family in America, were quite successful. Uh, the American rights were brought from the German producer, so they didn't see much of that money at all, or if any of it. That's sad. No, they did not. All too uh, common, this movie can be sun, uh, can be seen as the beginning of a trend in movies called nunsploitation. 
Movies that came out mostly in Europe in the 60s and 70s, usually about nuns in convent facing some sort of crisis of faith. Uh, the 1969 Elvis Presley and Mary Tyler Moore rom-com Change of Habit is an example of this, of non-exploitation. So is the Shirley MacLaine and Clint Eastwood Western Two Mules for Sister Sarah. So is Sister Act. So is Nuns on the Run. And so is Nasty Habits. So We're about to flying then. Well, was it really a non-exploitation? She was still in the convent, though, wasn't she? <laughs> um Let's see here. I think yeah. it was like Nuns with Guns released just a couple years ago, and I got to pull that now. You know, it's sad Nuns though. They, they they didn't even they didn't even uh, invite the real Maria von Trapp to the premiere <laughs> of the movie. They said that they 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 didn't have any seats for her. But I guess that's because oh she God, got into with the producer. Yeah. So what happened is Julie Andrews actually brought her onto a television special of hers, um, where she uh, teaches Julie Andrews how to yodel, and it's on YouTube. So. Uh, Carrie Underwood, Florence Henderson, uh, Stephen Moyer, Mary Martin, Julie Andrews, Shirley Jones, Christina Aguilera, and Marie Osmond were all in the Broadway productions of The Sound of Music at one point or another. Um, the Trapp Family Austrian Relief Inc. is an organization co-created by Maria and George von Trapp after the war, which has helped thousands of Austrians and war victims since its founding. Um, if you factor in inflation, this is still one of the most popular movies of all time, closely trailing behind Gone with the Wind in 1939. Uh, Julie Andrews performed Lonely Goat Herd and most of her other hits from this movie on The Muppet Show in 1976. Huge Muppet fan here. Uh, critics also often complain that Rodgers and Hammerstein were ripping off the sound of music from The King and I as they took the true story of the Von Traps and just adding copying or embellishing plot points from The King and I. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, they, they also complained, the Von Trapps complained that the film made George be like an unbearable monster at the beginning of the story when in fact he wasn't like that at all. They said he was yes. actually a kind man. Yes. Uh, according to a recent interview on Good Morning Australia in 1993 uh, with the Cartwright sisters, Veronica and Angela, Veronica Carlight, who was not in this movie, but watched Robert Rise and the crew film this scene from the sidelines, said the producers gave the kids in the cast brandy after they fill in the lakes during the canoe scene because they kept having to refilm it over and over again and they were trying to warm the kids up i don't think we were supposed to know that laughed the interviewer angela said that there was also leeches in the pond oh god Ooh, can you imagine yeah. uh there's an urban yeah, myth prevent hypothermia at the very least right there is an urban myth that the kids in this movie were all dubbed during the musical scenes angela cartwright has said in interviews this is patently false and that part of the reason they were chosen was because of their singing ability. And they did all their own singing, although the singing was augmented by a professional children's chorus, she admits. The times when the kid actors and actresses soloed, though, they were singing all by themselves, and that was their real voices. Uh, the mansion scene in this film belonged to Hedy Lamar. Uh, the scene where Maria uses the curtains to make play clothes for the kids uh, was ripped mm-hmm. off with Gone with the Wind. Uh, That's when Scarlett uses the drapes uh, to make the dress. Uh, the song Idlewise from this musical is used as the theme song for cable television series The Man in the High Castle, about an altered history where the Nazis conquered the United States. Hohenfern Castle in Wiefen, Austria, seeing this film, was also used in Where Eagles Dare. Um, Christopher Plummer has softened his criticism of this film over the decades, stating that he has come to respect the picture's place in history and its great affection from audience. However, he maintains that he doesn't much care for this movie. And the role of Captain Watchup uh, was the most difficult of his career due to his dislike of cinema working with children. And said he was also uh, greatly frustrated being typecast as Von Trapp in the years following, which made it 
hard to regain his uh, status as a character actor. Uh, let's see here. The real Maria, long a widow by the time of filming, complimented Christopher Plummer that he was much more handsome than her husband was. <laughs> oh, man. Let's see here. Uh, uh, Christopher Plummer, Eleanor Parker, Anna Lee, and director Robert Weiss all died at the age of 91. 91. Yep. Uh, Julie Andrews was set to film The Sound of Music with her hair at least longish with its color, her own natural brown. However... An attempt to give her golden highlights left Andrews with a bright orange mop and a damage control haircut resulted in the strawberry blonde pixie cut Andrews would sport in the film. Subsequent to The Sound of Music, wearing her hair short, uh, short would be Julie Andrews' trademark look. In August of 1966, The Sound of Music surpassed Gone with the Wind as the all-time box office champ. While Gone with the Wind has certainly been successful in its original release, the film's all-time box office total was a 26-year tally which The Sound of Music beat in only 18 months, despite having reached only a small percentage of the screens on which it would appear worldwide. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Peggy Woods, Mother of Biss Singing, was dubbed by Margaret McKay. A South, Korea, South Korean theater owner thought the movie was too long, so he had the projectionist edit out all the singing numbers. Oh, that's horrible. That's what makes the movie. Can you just see it running up the top of the sound of music? <laughs> uh, you can't do that. I don't know why all the movies he ever cuts now. Just yeah, <laughs> this got it's got too many monsters in it. Just cut out all the scenes with the monsters. Let's just have the talking dialogue going. It'd be good. I want to see all his movies now. <laughs> Idle Weiss, which Captain Von Trapp sings to his children again at the Salzburg Music Festival, was written by Rogers and Hammerstein II in New York just before the play opened on Broadway. Theodore Bickel debu debu uh, debuted the song in his role as captain in 1959. Bickel later recalled being met after a performance by a woman who told him how much she loved the song, but that she only knew it in the original German. Funny, because the song never existed until Rogers and Hammerstein wrote right. it. Right. So. Um, in the closing shot, when the family is climbing over the hills to safety, it's not really uh, Karath as Gretel on the shoulders of Captain Von Trapp. In the DVD version, it is revealed that while in Austria, Kim Karath gained a lot of weight. This was one of the last shots filmed, and so she was evidently a bit too heavy to be carried on Christopher Plummer's back. Plummer requested a stunt double, and that is being seen carried on his back. <laughs> yeah, stunt Sounds like a few of them gained weight. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, he, he's the one that had to have his outfit refitted, remember, because he ate yeah. That's uh, I mean, when Maria and Captain are at the gazebo, uh, Julie Andrews couldn't stop laughing due to the powerful overhead carbon arc clig lightnings that were uh, lights that uh, were making, in her words, a raspberry sound every time she leaned in to kiss Plummer. After more than 20 takes, the scene was altered to silhouette the two to hide Andrews' giggles. And last but not least, in the source play, Rolf discovers Von Trapp's hiding in the Abbey Cemetery but calls out to his commander that there is no one here, allowing the family to escape and keeping the promise he made to Liesl in the song 16 going on 17 to take care of her. So, uh, Christine, yeah. did you have any more information about the real Von Trapps before we end this? I do. You ready? Go for it. Okay. 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 So in real life, Maria actually came to the, the family just to tutor uh, Maria because she was recovering from scarlet fever. So yep. she didn't go as a governor as a governess for all the children, just for Maria. And uh, Maria and George actually got married 11 years before the family left Austria. 
not not right before. So they were married for quite some time mm-hmm. <clears throat> before they left. And uh, Maria actually didn't marry George because she was in love with him. He proposed to her, but she was actually in love with the children. So she married, she actually married him because she loved the children, not necessarily him. But she was advised by the nuns at the Abbey to marry him because it was, quote unquote, God's will. So she um, she ended up falling in love with him, though. And let's see if I can find her quote. She said she learned to love him like she had never loved before and would never love again. So I thought that was was kind of sweet. And um, there were actually. Um, oh, here we go. She learned to love him more than I have ever before or after. And there were actually 10 children, not seven. When she first came to him, there were seven children. But then after they got married, they had three more. And the names, ages, and, and sexes were changed for the movie. And as you said earlier, earlier, Jim, they didn't escape over a mountain, but actually traveled by train from Italy. And then I think they went to London and then to America. And I was reading that if they would have kept going over that mountain where they were, they would have ended up in Germany. <laughs> in like, Nazi territory. Can you imagine? Yeah. That would have been, been funny. The whole movie. Thing, <laughs> just, <laughs> and Hitler's just standing there like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they would ended up in Nazi territory. Right. So, and it wasn't a secret. They told everybody they were leaving. Yeah. All died. And, wow. And their music director was actually their family priest. And he was their music director for over 20 years. And the real uh, Maria was, uh, wasn't all sweet and light, like the Julie Andrews character. She was actually prone to angry outbursts and fits of rage. Like she was, would just get into outbursts where there'd be yelling and slamming of doors and throwing things. Um, in a 2003 interview, the younger Maria confirmed that her mom had a terrible temper but so that it would it would pass like a thunderstorm and that everything would, would be all right and that she was actually a loving and caring person. And that in reality, like you said earlier, the, the father, George, was actually a gentle, warring, warm, caring person who loved musical activities with his family. And it actually distressed the family that he was portrayed as a, you know, cold, detached patriarch in the movie. They, uh, they didn't like that. And his first wife actually died of scarlet fever in 1922. And so that's why he was widowed. And Maria was born in 1905 and she was orphaned as a young child. And she was raised as an atheist and socialist by an abusive relative. Maybe that's why she was prone to angry outbursts. I don't know. But in college, (laughs) who knows? In college, she accidentally attended attended a Palm Sunday service and she had a religious awakening. And so after college, that's when she entered the Benedictine Abbey of Nuneberg in Salzburg as a novice. Hmm. And so that's how she ended up at the Abbey. And that's how she came to tutor um, Maria von Trapp. And that's, you know, how the whole thing started. So, um, and the family lost much of its wealth during the worldwide depression of the 1930s when their bank failed. Mm. And so to save money, Maria um, actually fired most of the staff and they tightened their belts. And that's when they began singing as a career. 
and they actually won first place. So, you know, like in the movie, they won first place in that uh, music festival. Mm-hmm. They actually did win first place in the 1936 music festival and they started becoming successful. And then the Nazis annexed Austria in 1938. And George really was against the Nazis and he refused to fly the Nazi flag and he declined the naval command and request to sing at Hitler's birthday party. So that's when they were like, we have got to get out of here. And that's when they boarded the train and left and they left behind everything. And they uh, eventually settled in Stowe, Vermont, and they bought a farm and they ran a music camp when they weren't on tour. And they eventually stopped touring, I think in the mid fifties. And uh, George died in 1947 and he's buried at the family cemetery. And Maria is also buried at the family cemetery. And most of them applied for citizenship and they, and they got it, Maria and the stepdaughters. And the two sons got citizenship because they were in World War II. Yeah, they served in World War II and that's how they got a citizenship. Oh, I have here, they stopped touring in 1955. Um, and I said most of the children passed away except for the oldest son, Joe, Joe Hans. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. But um, the Trap Family Lodge is still operational. Hmm. It's still out there. Yeah. So you, you can still go to it. And let's see. Um, here I have a list of the children, what they're doing or what they did. Rupert was a medical doctor. Agatha was a kindergarten teacher. Maria was a missionary in New Guinea for 30 years. Werner was a farmer. Hedwig taught music. Johan married and eventually moved back to Austria. Johanna, Martina married and died in childbirth. I think she was 30 when she died in childbirth. Rosemary and Eleanor both settled in Vermont. Okay, Johanna was the girl. Johans is the boy, and he manages the Trap Family Lodge. Maria died in 1987 and was buried alongside George and Martina. And, And you mentioned this, Jim. The Von Trapps never saw much of the huge profits. From the movie, she sold her rights to German producers. And inadvertently signed away her rights in the process. Yeah. So let's say I also had something about, about George. Um, yeah, he was born in 1880, died in 1947. He was an officer in the Austrian-Hungarian Navy. He commanded submarines in World War I and with, val- with valor and received the title of Ritter, which is knight and later baron, as the reward for his heroic accomplishments. And he was born in Zara, Croatia. So that's what I've got. Okay. Excellent. What there. So Christine, yeah. we'll start with you. What is your thoughts and feelings on this movie? Mm. You know, every time I see it, I just, <clears throat> I just love it. I think it's very uplifting. I love the music and I, I think it overall, it's just a great movie. I give it like a nine out of 10. Nine out of 10. Kyle. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like this film is uh, you know kind of a historical masterpiece in many ways. Um, it's not like a, like a film that like I'm like oh man I really really enjoy this a whole lot for me. It's like personally probably around the seven or eight out of ten for me. But in terms of its historical significance and what it's meant to so many people, it's a ten out of ten for um, film literacy and film history in my mind. And I think that's totally deserved. I think this is a you know it's it it rises the fine line between fantasy and reality being based on a true story, but also having these um fictitious moments of like really going above and beyond and how romantic and fantastical it all is and how everything kind of 
works out for the family at the you know relatively well anyways in terms of everyone being happy by the time they're done um uh that's still uh it's an incredible film and i really enjoy it a whole lot so i think it's a 10 out of 10 and historical right historically wise jimbo how do you feel about it eh, i mean I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of the rogers and downer. i've seen a lot of the roger and hammerstein's films um and like I said, I have I guess maybe because you see it spoofed so much and you only caught bits and pieces of it. But where Christine said that it was it was a happy, feel good movie, to me it was kind of the opposite uh towards the end of the movie where the Germans are coming over and trying to just they basically had to leave everything behind. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So to me that that kind of made me uh angry. Uh not 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 at the family, you know, but I mean just because of the situation that they were put in to to do that, you know, going back to when uh the Germans and all that uh, invaded and wanted to, you know, unionize with Austria and all that. So um for me it's probably a seven out of ten. I, I enjoyed some of the, the musical scores um as we talked about, but when you realize that it's based on a true story and that this actually did happen to a family, it makes it all that more real. Um yeah they changed some of the stuff around you know what i mean but uh that's the way it was back then um mm-hmm. and and, it, and it's sad to sad to say you know what i mean um but when people get into power that can make those kind of decisions and they make the wrong decisions and it affects a whole lot of people sure does so, um i would say probably seven out of ten it'd be a ten out of ten just for julie andrews if i was basing on my feelings because i love her um so yeah that's it uh, so if you want to follow us on the social medias, uh, we are the tragedy of cinema podcast on Facebook, uh, TikTok. uh, you can email us at the tragedy of cinema at gmail.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show as Christine did tonight, uh, just, just hit us up with that and what movie you'd like to do. We'd be more than happy to schedule a time to have you on, uh, Christine, thanks for coming on and thanks for suggesting this movie. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Once again, you are, I believe our first two time guest on the podcast. Yeah. What an honor. Yeah. Like, so you you are you are now the the first person to ever co-host twice. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Thank um, you so much. I've truly enjoyed it. Do you have any, anything else to say, Christine? No, it's been great. I said I uh when I saw this movie, I thought, oh, but this will be a great one to do. I know how much you love Julie Andrews. And <laughs> <laughs> it's true, true story. I just be a blast. Yeah. Uh Kyle, you have anything else? Nope, nope. I think we're good. All right. Well, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. Don't have a clapper. (laughs) Don't have a clapper. So just say cut, Christina. We'll cut it. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Later. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.